Brilliant. Great. Yeah, helpful for you to have sight of a Bible at least uh, and talk notes if you'd find them helpful so you can see where we're going. And let me pray for us again. Father God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this wonderful book of Philippians, how you have uh, spoken to us. And Father, pray that you would do again this morning. Father, please draw our, our hearts, our minds, our attentions to you and your word now that we wouldn't be distracted, but that we would hear and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, is there something that you think, if I just had that, then everything would be okay? If I just had that, life would be, would be great. Uh, perhaps it is a, uh, a thing. Perhaps it's a thing. You know, it might be the latest gadget. You get caught up with the advertising and it's a phone or a drone or, or whatever it might be. If I just had that. Or perhaps it's a, a relational thing, like a relationship, a spouse, a child. Maybe it's financial. You know, if, if just my mortgage was paid off or I had enough to, to money to get out of debt or I had enough money in the bank for that extension. Or perhaps it's a health thing, you know, just if I had that all clear from the doctor, then I would all be okay. But depending on what it is that's going on in our individual lives, it is easy for us to get swept up by some of these things. And so that needs, or indeed wants, can become ultimate things. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul that we have the biggest, the best, the most important thing that we could possibly have, which will show all of those things to be ultimately insignificant. Now, that is the kind of things that preachers say, isn't it? But you might be thinking, really? Really? Like you don't actually know what's going on in my life. Or, or really, like, is there something that can really make all those things fade into the backgrounds? Well, I do really mean it. I do really believe it because the Apostle Paul really means it too. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 is the start really of a new section in the book over the last few weeks we've been uh, hearing that call to live lives worthy of the gospel strive side by side together for the gospel we've been hearing how important it is to think like Jesus to be selfless and humble in how we relate to others and those two things are very much in, in, in our minds, in the background but there is a bit of a gear change in chapter 3 there's a shift because we see here, change of mood really, is Paul gives a warning to the Philippians, and a warning therefore for us too. Now chapter 3 hangs together, we're going to look at it in two parts, just kind of a heads up really. There is so much in these verses we're looking at today, so I can't cover them all in great detail and some will miss out altogether, but do ask me if you have any questions. Um, but we're going to look at it in kind of bullet point form really. What we're going to do this morning though, is we're going to see the warning. First thing is we're going to see the warning. Then we're going to hear why it is that we shouldn't fall into the trap that we're being warned about. And then we're going to see what will keep us from doing so. Okay, so we're going to hear the warning. We're going to see, hear why it is that we shouldn't fall into the trap that we're being warned about. And then thirdly, we're going to see how it is that we cannot fall into that trap. 
So firstly, watch out. Here is uh, our warning. Firstly, watch out. But have a look at verse 1. Finally, my brothers. Now, hang on a sec, Paul. Looking at my Bible here, we're halfway. And you're saying, finally. (laughs) What's going on? And in fact, we're going to have at least one other finally to come. Finally, it kind of carries a sense of, look, what more is there to say? What remains? What is left? It, it is a kind of um, it is a thing to uh, heighten our expectation. This is important. Finally, what is that? What is there left? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. That joy, that that deep-rooted happiness that transcends uh, any circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your delight in Him. Then Paul says that to write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He's already written about what he's going to say here, but he says, look, it's important. It is safe for you. It is a seatbelt. It is a crash helmet. It is a safety barrier. What I'm about to say is safe for you. Warnings aren't always nice to hear. We don't always like to hear them, but they are good. What is... Paul going to say that is going to make them safe. Well, all through Paul's Christian life, he has travelled around the world sharing the good, good news, the life-giving news of Jesus Christ. And wherever though Paul has gone, it's almost always in his wake has travelled a group also who come teaching. And they thought that they were the real deal. And their message went something like this. Yes, you need to trust in Jesus for your salvation. You need to trust that he died on a cross in your place for your forgiveness of sins. But you also need to be circumcised. That, That mark in the Old Testament of being one of God's people. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow some of the Old Testament laws to be a really to be part of God's people. Now, they were sometimes called the Judaizers, uh, Judaizers, so kind of because of those elements of Judaism in there. And it seems like this group have either got to Philippi or may soon get there. And so Paul is going to warn them, the Philippian church, about them. In fact, that Paul sums up their message uh, as, as being confident in the flesh. Confident in the flesh. So, yes, trust in Jesus, but also you have to do things to make yourselves right with God. Now, that might not, in one sense, sound too bad, right? Trust in Jesus and do a few extra things. But look how Paul describes them. Three times, Paul says, watch out, look out. And the descriptions are shocking. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is using Jewish terms, or terms that the Jewish people would have used for for pagan outsiders, for Gentiles. Now when we hear dogs, we kind of think, we think of this, don't we? When they think of dogs, they think like this, snarling. In fact, I couldn't find one without a collar, so they shouldn't have a collar. They're thinking of wild street dogs, dirty, vicious creatures. It was a real term of of derision for, for pagan outsiders. 
So that's the word that the, the, um, the Jews would have used. And, and likewise, um, evildoers, the Jews prided themselves on being, uh, of their rule-keeping purity. And so the evildoers, that's what other people do. And then mutilators of the flesh. Um, it's those, those pagans in the Old Testament who try to draw the attention of their God by cutting themselves. And Paul takes these words and turns them against these people. He's saying that by trying to make Gentiles clean by being circumcised, they are actually as bad as those unclean dogs. By trying to make the Gentiles submit to, to these good works, they are actually evildoers. And the word circumcision get too graphic, but it literally means to cut around. But they don't just want to cut around, they cut to pieces. They, they mutilate. Paul turns these words on them and says that watch out for them. Watch out. Now it's important to note these aren't the same opponents that Paul had in chapter 1. Right? In chapter 1, the people, we have people preaching the true gospel. Their motives were false, but they, they, they were preaching the true gospel. And so Paul said, that's fine. In fact, I rejoice. But here, no, their message is off key. And so he, he, he really goes to town on them. Because they are an eternity-destroying threat. Yeah, that an eternity-destroying threat. Watch out. Now, I don't know about you but I have never been told by anyone, let alone someone calling themselves a Christian, that I should be circumcised. And if they did, they wouldn't get the time of day. But that's not to say that there aren't dangers that we need to watch out for today also. Because these Judaizers, they, they were the kind of pre, pre, precursor to uh, any works-based religion. Any religion that says you have to do X, Y, Z in order to be right in God's sight. Any, anything, and the world is full of such religions that says you have to do this, do that, do whatever to get yourselves right with God. And indeed, the Judaizers were the oldest sibling of modern-day legalists. Christians who might say, yes, you trust in Christ, but you also need to... X, Y, Z. Do penance. Say confession. Uh, be baptised. Read your Bible every single day. Whatever it might be. Anything that says Jesus and something else. And Paul says, watch out. So that is our warning. And secondly, our second point here is learn then from Paul. Now, the reason we can learn from Paul is because Paul was the best legalist there has ever been. He was the best, and he turned his back on it. And so we, let's learn from Paul's autobiographical example again. Come to verse 3. For we, uh, uh, Paul says, so for we, me, Timothy, Epaphroditus, you Philippians, we are the circumcision. We are the real people of God. Those who were circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. They might claim they're the real deal, they are not. They are dogs, evildoers, mutilated the flesh. We are God's people. And the reason that Paul knows that they are so wrong and so dangerous 
is because once he was like them. And in fact, he was better than them. You know that song, anything you can do, I can do better. That's what Paul says right here. Have a look at at the end of verse 4. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so in seven short descriptions, Paul declares himself to be the model religious person. The first four are all about his kind of impressive background. And so look down with me at verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day, as the Old Testament commanded. Of the people of Israel, really one of God's uh, chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, and that special and precious tribe in the Old Testament, because it was the only one who stuck with, um, with Judah, the royal line. Uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews. My back, background, Paul says, was impeccable. My pedigree was perfect. And then three um, state his impressive actions and achievements. As to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the, like, the strictest of the, the Jews, the religious sect, and, and Paul was one of them. He was a Pharisee. Uh, so, uh, so the law of Pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church you know, he, he, he believed that God was being honored, dishonoured so much that he, would, he went, Paul travelled round persecuting the Christian church he was the, the kind of most zealous for God as to righteousness under the law blameless in terms of his external action his behaviour as could see from the outside, he was blameless. His background, his achievements were impeccable. He had the perfect credentials, the, the perfect CV. Let anyone could find salvation through self-righteousness, it was Paul. Let's kind of bring that into today's terms, okay? So he was born in a long line of Christians. His parents were Christians. His grandparents were Christians. His great-grandparents were Christians, and so on and so on. He was dedicated or christened uh, as a baby. He could recite memory verses by the time that he could string words together. He was obedient to his parents, hard-working at school. He was ever-present in Sunday school. He was baptised as a teenager, served faithfully at church, read his Bible every single day, invited others to church. He became a house group leader. He was at every single prayer meeting there could be. You looked at him, externally, he was faultless. In religious terms, he was in a league of his own. He had, as it were, every reason to put confidence in the flesh. He had the right background, he had all the right achievements and actions. And yet, with all his accolades, Paul does now some simple accounting with us. So Paul uses that terminology three times, count, counted. Uh, I know a number of you are involved in financial things, whether a job or charities or, or, or whatever it might be. But if mass isn't your thing, don't worry, you can grasp this. Okay, this is okay. He does some, some simple accounting. He wants us to imagine a, two, a table which has gains and losses or kind of assets and liabilities if you want to use proper words gains and losses gains anything which adds value losses anything that takes away and for Paul his gains were, were, was like blooming 
Like he, he, so he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee, zealous, faultless law following. In our language, yeah, endless hours of Bible reading, baptism, baptized, serving in church, whatever. His gains column was bursting at the seams. But then see what Paul says about them in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gains I had, I count them as loss for the sake of Christ. All those things that he previously thought were gains, with a simple cut and paste, were moved over to the losses column. And just one word is written in the gains. Christ. All that Paul had relied upon, all his background, all his actions, all his achievements, all those things that he'd worked so hard for all of his life, he says they're loss. The only thing that counts is gain, is Christ. As I said earlier, the, the, the kind of specific danger facing the Philippians is, is different to the specific dangers that we're going to be facing today. But it is all too possible for us to trust in Jesus, but also something else. Might be our backgrounds. You know, in this country, it's kind of fading out now, but um, not so long ago, and it's still there. To be English is to be a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian because I'm English. That's a nonsense. But that thought is there. It could be our works. The, the, the religious, quote, quote, the religious things that we do. But the fact that, you know, every day I have a 20-minute quiet time when I read the Bible and pray every single day. Not a day that I miss. Or it could be, you know, look, I, I, I witness to somebody once a week. It could be our zeal. You know, we're active in church service. I mean, I'm so tired because I'm serving so hard. God must be pleased with me. Or our status as vineyard leaders or, or whatever it might be. What are we confident in? And why? You know, are there things that we are currently considering as, as gains when actually we need to see them as losses? and therefore only trusts in Jesus. So first we had the warning, watch out. Watch out, it's serious warning, the strongest possible terms. Dogs, evildoers, mutilated the flesh. Those who would say, look, yes, trust Christ, but also, watch out. And how can we learn from Paul's example? Why should we not fall into that trap? Well, if Paul, the best person, the person who is most could ever put confidence in the flesh, and he said, no, they're losses. Just going to trust in Christ. And then thirdly, really, here's our last thing of thinking, well, how is it that we won't fall into that trap? How is it that we can be on guard of trusting Jesus and, well, it's treasure, Jesus treasure him because you see how Paul ramps things up in verse 8 he said look, all, all those religious works, all, all those my background, I, I now count them as loss see how he ramps up now in verse 8 indeed I count everything everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord 
absolutely everything I count as loss. Any and everything that the world offers up as important, anything that people around us prize so much, all of those things that I talked about at the beginning, be it stuff, gadgets, be it relationship, money, financial security, health, whatever it is, all of those things, Paul says he considers them loss compared to knowing Jesus. Why? Well, it's a simple comparison. In Paul's mind, he treasures Jesus so much because of all those things we've heard about him. You remember chapter 2, Jesus, who in very nature, God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He humbled himself, he came to earth, became a man, became a servant, died, even dying on a cross. Paul treasures Jesus so much that he says everything else is loss. Absolutely everything compared to knowing Jesus. But Paul ramps it up even further. And so he carries on in verse 8. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's not just kind of, he, he kind of forgets about them now, he counts them as rubbish garbage. It's kind of words a bit stronger, excrement. That's how he sees those things now compared to knowing Christ. Utterly worthless. Something to be flushed down the toilets compared to knowing, having, being in a relationship with Jesus. And in verse 9, he explains why having Christ is so important and being found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith here now we switch kind of languages right so we've been in the accounting world we're now switching to law because uh, the word righteousness is a, is a legal word to be righteous means to be declared innocent. You know, it's when the jury has heard all the, the evidence and they've given um, their verdict and the judge declares the person not guilty. Innocent. Righteousness. That's the key, key words that we find here. To be innocent in God's sight, right with him. And in verse 9, Paul says that there are two kinds of righteousness. The first kind of righteousness is based on the law. That means kind of being based on what we can do. And that kind of righteousness, Paul says, is impossible. And he should know, he tried. But that kind of righteousness is impossible. If Paul couldn't do it, and we've seen what he thought of his own efforts, then we certainly can't. No, the righteousness Paul has, it all comes down to God. Did you see that? It comes a couple of times um, in verse 9. That righteousness from God. It comes from him. It's a gift from him. It's not something that we can generate. And then secondly, we see that twice there, Paul says it is through faith in Christ. Through trusting in Jesus alone. Him exclusively. Trusting that uh, as he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, he was taking the judgment that I deserve. 
And the perfect life that Jesus lived, he has now given to me. That righteousness is the, is the righteousness that Paul cares about. Not the one that he earns, but the one that is given to him. Treasure Christ. Know Christ. There is nothing better than knowing him. And it is as we treasure Christ that we will be guarded from falling into that trap of thinking, oh yes, Jesus and anything else, when we are truly treasuring him rightly. And how wonderfully freeing that is for his people. Because righteousness that is based on our own efforts, our own achievements, is so, so fragile, is it not? You know, isn't righteousness where we are trying to earn it a futile effort? Because ultimately we can never be enough. And you'll always, before God, be standing there going, I haven't done enough, I can't do enough, there's got to be more to be done. Treasuring Christ, trusting in him, frees us from that. On the flip side of that again, or sorry, the same, same kind of idea, righteousness that's based on our own effort only leads to despair. When you realise time and time again you can't live up, you fail yet and yet again. Treasuring Christ saves us from that despair. Treasuring Christ um, saves us from doubt. Righteousness that is based on my efforts, we can never be sure of because you never know whether you've done enough or not. Trusting in Christ means we know we have his righteousness. And righteousness is based on ourselves. On the flip side, in the times when we do manage to do well, is going to lead to pride. Because, hey, I've done enough. I've, I'm feeling good about myself today. Trusting in Christ is going to keep us from pride. Watch out. Watch out for those who say, Jesus, yes, and something else. Or watch out for that attitude that that comes up from within us. Watch out. Don't fall into that trap. Learn from Paul's example that he was in the best place and he turned his back on it wholeheartedly. What's going to help us to do that is treasuring Christ. Knowing him above everything. The righteousness that comes from him is the only righteousness that matters. In fact, knowing him, being in relationship with him, is better than absolutely anything this world has to offer. Let's pray. Father, please, would you indeed, as you have worked in Paul, would you work in us? Please, would you show us Jesus more and more? Would we know him uh, better? Would we delight in our relationship with him more? As we do that, that would guard us from any self-reliance and help us to only and fully look to him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, For those who are uh, trying to learn a verse a week, which I'm encouraging us to do, um, this week it's chapter 3, verse 8, probably just the first half. Uh, And then to serve you well, to have read through and prayed through the passage before next week, um, it's the rest of chapter 3 and just the first verse of chapter 4 as well. Thanks, Amy.